Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and ferment while we grow weird and wonderful science in your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this special edition in a two-part interview, Professor Johannes Lacoutre talks about biology as engineering and cellular agriculture, ahead of his talk at the Frontiers of Science Forum. On the night, I'll be running the question and answer session between the speakers and the audience. The Science of Life. Johannes Lacoutre is professor at the School of Chemical Engineering at the University of New South Wales. He'll be speaking at the Frontiers of Science Forum about how biology evolved from a purely investigative science into an area of creative engineering, and specifically about growing food in new ways, cell by cell. I spoke with Johannes by Zoom, and for part one of the interview, I began by asking him how has biology evolved? I do believe that almost biology would be the mother of all sciences, no pun intended here, <laughs> very clearly. And also that biology is getting a lot of momentum as we go along. Interestingly, if you look at physics and chemistry, they are maybe a little bit, I would not say older, but they are uh, certainly a little bit further in their applicability and in their application potential. Clearly with chemistry, we see this from soaps to pharma to all of the products in our daily life. Physics, the same thing. We have computers, we have cars. And what happened here is that these sciences went from a period of pure empirics where Maybe Galileo was sitting in a church looking at the swinging of a lamp or these types of things, or Aristotle sitting in his bathtub and had, I think it was, or Socrates, I don't know, even know the one with the Eureka. But the, the point is that there always has been an empirical period in many of these sciences before then things turn around. And you have been offered this professorship here at UNSW by the Faculty of Engineering for a topic uh, to attract me as a biologist uh, for a topic that is very much a biological topic in an engineering environment. So what I will show during the talk at the event on March 25th at the golf club will be that people like Charles Darwin, but also uh, Leonardo da Vinci and others have been diligently collecting butterflies, flowers, what, what have you, the, the botanist, to describe them in great detail. And there are beautiful paintings from many people in the 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th century of how does biology look, what's the relationship behind form and function. There has been a lot of belief in phenomena coming out of a very religiously driven world uh, in phenomena such as vis vitalis. There was a belief that behind every living organism there is 
divine force sparking life into the organism. And we are beginning to understand that the divine forces might be much more complicated to understand and much more subtle and, and uh, that there is a lot of clear science and reasoning that can be done to understand life uh, based on cause and consequence. So having said that, again, there is, there is beautiful drawings. I will try to show a few by, by Leonardo da Vinci and, and you name it. And then with, as time went by and knowledge in life sciences and in biology across the various kingdoms from, bi, from botany to zoology to, to maybe also some microorganismal life as knowledge really became super or supra-critical and in particular as the understanding of genomics and of DNA and of genetic inheritance had been accomplished in the 50s with Crick and Watson, obviously, and so on. All of a sudden, biology became something where you can do engineering. And that started with small life forms from bacteria such as E. coli to flies and insects such as Drosophila into smaller, maybe warm-like animals. And now, basically, we can engineer life across the spectrum of botany, zoology, what, what have you. We can engineer a lot. We are beginning to understand brains. We are beginning to understand minds. And what happened maybe 50 years in, in electronics and in physics, where you then started to build consumer electronics and consumer things, is clearly now happening also with the life sciences, integrating actually also all of the knowledge obtained in chemistry and all of the knowledge obtained in physics uh, together with all of the knowledge of and the strictness of thinking in, in mathematics. So that's why I would say biology is the mother of all sciences. And if you are then a biology, you can ask yourself, what, what am I supposed to do now? And there are, in my view, you can either work, there, there are two fundamental processes in life and one is reproduction and the other is eating if you give it some thought these are key processes and they are the key processes to maintain a species so reproduction and eating and so my choice then came uh, to look into into eating and i spent 20 years with the world's biggest food company before that i looked into sugar uptake into cells and before that i looked how life sort of contributes to to life in photosynthetic systems but if you're looking into food what i just have said is becoming very interesting because we are a species in need of food every species needs to nourish itself one way or another and we are living on a planet that is becoming very crowded at the same time as a human society we will be about 10 billion people by 2050 and these numbers are, are known to everybody and are out there we need to nourish and feed those people right so having said all of this uh, now technologies are becoming available to produce food using biology and using all of what I have said basically up until now to produce food in a new way that will make systems hopefully more sustainable and more palatable for the entire planet because the planet is a biological system 
in and by itself and can be seen as an organism, as an animal, if you will. The planet Earth is a big animal, a big organism, which is governed by exactly the same rules. And as we all know, you could even then argue the planet is getting sick or is having issues or problems. And we need to look into those. And, and the principles always are the same. The principles always remain the same from being economically sound, from going from competition to collaboration. These are important biological principles as, as you evolve. And funny enough, now there are technologies, and that's what we are working on at UNSW, where food, and in particular animal-based food, such as meat, but also milk, or but also also palm oil for that matter, or coffee even, can be produced and will be produced using cellular principles without using the entire animal. Uh, the overarching term behind all of this is cellular agriculture. And the idea would be to develop materials such as meat, cell-based meat, cultured meat, there are many names for this, such as meat, but, but again, also milk, cheese, and these types of things directly on a cellular way without having to grow, kill animals, but also without all of the disadvantages animals might or might not bring. And there will always be meat, there will always be milk and dairy, but there will be new technologies complementing existing technologies and also playing a role in addition to, to all of the plant-based stuff that we are seeing right now. So now I talked a lot, maybe Ian, I give it back to you <laughs> and you come up with further questions where we're going. Certainly. So I followed a lot of the cellular agriculture as it's grown over the years. One of the things I saw a few years ago were there some companies that were looking into engineering yeast to make milk proteins so that they could make different sorts of cheeses. And they were going from the genome being sequenced of all sorts of mammals that produced milk, so not just cows, but they suggested that they're, when they were raising money for their startup, that not only could they do cow milk and cow cheese perhaps, but they might be able to do more exotic animals that had their genome sequenced as well. Did anything ever happen from those or are they still under development, do you know? There is a lot happening in the dairy and in the precision fermentation domain. Companies are producing casein, developing all kinds of milk proteins. There are also companies out there looking at rare animals. There's even companies looking at human milk production to come up with infant formula, which is very interesting. Long story short, at this point, we have not seen anything hugely dominating in supermarket shelves. And what is happening, I think, in, in the whole dairy domain, actually nothing is as of yet in, in shelves available because all of these activities do require sound regulatory approval, which is important and good that we have regulatory authorities. And to my understanding, certainly not the human, but also, also none of the other milk products are available. Oh, that's a shame. It seemed like, as you say, such a good idea that babies would be better with a milk that was more like human milk than 
say, perhaps cow milk or derived sort of products that uh, are available at the moment. And the idea of having narwhal milk cheese or all sorts of other animals that also produce milk that could have cheese produced by yeast in the lab rather than from the animals directly sounded like an interesting and exotic idea. Look, I'm from a cheese country. I'm Swiss and I'm from a cheese making country. I am completely stunned and overwhelmed about the high quality and the fantastic cheeses. I love cheese uh, here in Australia. It's definitely spectacular what, what you can get here. So I think this is actually on a good track. I see things happening in, in the field and my point would be this is a matter of time when we get to consume these products. The problem is really scaling. At the end of the day, what you see is that companies switch to exotic species or breeds for the reason that maybe those don't need to be scaled and business can be developed on smaller quantities just by making the point this is very exotic. But the overarching issue and problem will be to produce not one, not tens, but hundreds of metric tons of material one way or another in order to make this a meaningful global proposition to consumers. And that's not trivial. That is absolutely not trivial. There's a lot of debate, a lot of fight, a lot of arguing and a lot of technology push. And then there's a lot of money being put into this and slowly but steadily we will be getting there, but this is not happening overnight. You're listening to Ian Wolf on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. So my big question with all of this is that we're trying to replace, to a large degree, farms, you know, where most people have an idea of what we're feeding the animals and what we're fertilizing the crops with. In the lab... What are we feeding to produce meat or milk proteins or any of these other things that would happen with cellular agriculture? What's the feedstock? So very importantly, let me make this very clear, Ian, and also very loud because I, well, I have a loud voice anyway, but we're not trying to replace farms. This is really important. We are not trying to replace farms. On the contrary, on the contrary, we are trying to develop technology to work with farmers, to empower farmers, to interact with farmers and to drive new technologies into the 21st and 22nd centuries. So think of indoor cropping. What we're doing here again is we develop technology where we grow small greens and leafy stuff in indoors in cities and so on but these technologies should be applied and governed by farmers we need farmers and and we we are definitely not aiming to replace farmers we are trying to give new technology into the hands of farmers because we need to be more conscious about our environment about the the planet and we need to feed more people and produce much more material So that is important and we need farmers and we need to work with farmers. We need to actually also possibly work with producers of grains and of hay and of grass and of 
people that have land where all of this material is coming from because chances are that the supply chains into this new industry will be exactly the same supply chains as, as we have them now, that just the process is taken out of the animal and made available to produce identical materials. So again, the need for farmers, their competence, their interests, their business, their everything is, is super important for us. And, and we want to work with the farmers. So the farmers would be producing what, grains? and sugars and things like that. And those are what we might feed to yeast or other sorts of microorganisms that we're going to be engineering to make these proteins and things that we might be able to eat? The way I see it and the way we're discussing this, there's, there's one law in physics and there's a German way of, of putting it, that, which is basically just saying von nix kommt nix, which means nothing comes from nothing or i think you get the point uh, and 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 the thing is if you want to produce a metric ton of material you need to put in a metric ton of material it does not grow from nowhere and this is very important it doesn't grow out of nowhere from air or something you need to you need to put in a ton of material if you want to produce a ton of material and for producing this input, we clearly need farmers. And for putting and placing and developing the output, we also need space. We need farmers. It's about technology and it's about technology development. The interesting thing here is also that we might all of a sudden have way more consumers than we had before, because maybe a lot of vegan or vegetarian consumers that got lost to the animal-based business will be coming back because they all of a sudden realize, whoa, this is so tasty stuff and this is so good. I want to actually eat it. And now that you know, animals are being used in the process, I am happy to get back to consuming these materials. So clearly in our society, there will be novel technologies, but the people that drive these technologies will, will always be the farmers and should be farmers and should be farmers together with scientists like farmers are now already working with breeders, with genetic people, with technology people. It's just a development and it's an appropriate development in this in this 21st century. That's the way I look at it. I guess I'm trying to get like a, a picture. So, I mean, there was a time when we were talking about engineering crops to produce some of these animal proteins and these new sort of products to feed us all. And now we're talking about cellular agriculture. So we're still going to get all these crops as the feedstock that goes in. So the ton of feedstock goes in and it could be grain, it could be sugar, it could be whatever that we can... I'm just trying to work out what, what they waste. eat. It could be food waste. <laughs> food waste. Maybe one day it will be food waste. 30, 30% of our food is being wasted. Wouldn't it be good if we can use that to, to, to grow at least new food? I, I don't know, but, but I, I interrupted you. That's all right. I guess I'm just trying to get like a, a picture of what these little organisms are eating. So if we've got a factory producing milk proteins, or if we've got a bioreactor growing muscle cells for cultured meat or what are these things eating because they're living organisms and they're producing proteins so they need to eat something 
and I'm just trying to work out what goes in. Yes. So they need to eat something. So physically, chemically, and biologically, what you need is energy and building blocks. And you need maybe some signal transduction molecules. This is what you need. So you need a lot of energy, which usually is provided through carbohydrates. And then you need building blocks, which usually uh, comes through, through amino acids, proteins, these types of things. You need, to, you need to put in biomass. And the problem is, if you want to grow this in a credible and also in a successful way, this has to be affordable. I should actually say this has to be cheap and this probably has to be very cheap because, because uh, no consumer on earth uh, will sustainably go for beautiful cell-based meat products if they are 10 times the cost of what the animal-based material would be. So it will not work and it will not fly to feed these organisms with anything more expensive than what a cow eats now. So that's clear. It has to be ideally less, less expensive. And so that's what you need to think of. And if you're thinking of carbohydrates and if you think of sugar, sugar is, is not necessarily inexpensive and uh, yet there has got to be carbohydrates in there. So these are discussions that drive a scientific agenda based on macroeconomical considerations and calculations that somebody has got to do. And the closest thought to have would be to say, hey, why can't we just use the same input that is being right now for the cow, just without the cow? The problem is surely what's happening in the cow right now is that the muscle cells are being fed by blood. So we'd have to have some sort of artificial blood because we can't just feed grain to the muscles. No, we cannot just feed grain to the muscles. That is, that is true. Maybe we can do without the blood, though, because you can process grain through biotransformational steps into some sort of liquid that will then give you the media that, that make it to feed those cells, yes. And those are, those are very old ideas. There is nothing unusual. Um, the, the question is just how do you manage to succeed? Yes, so the blood is really something that you need in a cow, actually, or in an animal, you need the blood in order to have this big, solid life form that is walking on around, supported by a skeleton, by bones, protected by a skin and leather. How do you circulate nutrients and oxygen in this system? Now, if you say, okay, I don't want to have this system in the first place, I don't want bones, I don't want to have skin and leather, you can do possibly without the blood, but you still, of course, need to manage to, to perfuse all of the nutrients as a liquid into, into your cellular material, clearly, yes. And I'm thinking about the extra applications. If you can replace blood for the muscle cells growing and that you're growing into your meat, that sounds like a, a sort of thing that could also apply to medicine because a blood substitute would be an amazing thing for the world. Yeah, but that's a totally different story. Yes, but clearly, clearly, uh, yes, no, with, without a doubt. I think there are approaches. I'm, I'm not an expert on that. But again, what we are trying to do is we are trying to generate biomass in a way more disorganized three-dimensional arrangement as compared to a live animal. 
So yes. no need for blood vessels. So so what we are trying to do is to to do this in in bioreactors, to do this in vets, to do this in big vessels where maybe through clever oxygenation and perfusion or gentle shaking or stirring, you can agitate big amounts of cells and bubble and perfuse nutrients. And I'm speaking here very general nutrients through and filter waste products out. You manage to grow the biomass in a way that you then later on can eat it. There, there are many other important processes. We are talking in the field of scaffolds and scaffolding, which means you need to impart or develop some sort of dimensionality, three-dimensionality, in order to eventually have texture, structure, and again, three-dimensionality. That is something people are looking at. Scaffolds on which those cells grow. And we want to eventually maybe even overcome the, the concept of, of a traditional cut. That will take a long time. Right now, and food industry or food technology always has been trying to mimic things. We're trying to mimic the taste of salt. We are trying to mimic the appearance and the taste of butter by inventing margarine. Now we're trying to mimic meat by doing plant-based meat. But as long as we always have the cut as our goalpost, we, we might mimic ourselves into a questionable direction. Maybe one day when, when, when these materials as such are being accepted by consumers, we can go beyond the idea of mimicking a cut and develop new concepts of how these biomaterials can be used as foods without trying to just copy or mimic a piece of existing animal-based meat. That was part one of my interview with Professor Johannes Lukutra from the University of New South Wales, talking about how biology evolved to become engineering and how cellular agriculture can produce new foods to feed the world. Listen next week for part two. Professor Lukutra will be speaking at the Frontiers of Science Forum on the 25th of March at Concord Golf Club in Sydney. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3 MVR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived 
on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labeled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.